Good morning. How you guys doing today? Staying cool? No. <laughs> We're trying though. <laughs> well, I want to open with saying welcome to anybody that is joining us here in our room for the first time at Hosanna, or if you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. Those of you that don't know, I am Pastor Nathan, and today we're going to be talking about how a believer can know their love for God is growing and maturing. And then after the study today, we're going to be celebrating our baptisms today for those that are getting baptized. And so we're super excited to be celebrating that moment with those. You can clap for that too. Yeah, that's awesome. But just to open, uh, you know, in 1 John, uh, as we've been studying through this letter, John uses the word remain a lot. Um, if you have like a New King James translation, you'll see the word abide. And, th and those are the same words, abide and remain. You know, in this letter, he says the phrase remain in him nine times. He says, remain in the Son and the Father, remain in the light, that God's word would remain in, in you. And then he says this phrase that is really critical, remain in love. And he said that back in uh, 1 John 4, 16. And that word remain or that word abide as we see it in John's letters simply means to continue or to persist in a certain state. Now the state that John has been writing about, this state that John is encouraging us to continue and to persist in is the state of being God's kid of being in God's family and knowing that, having confidence of that, being uh, everything from being saved and then walking in continuous fellowship with God. This is the idea in the phrase, remain in him, that John has been bringing up in this letter over and over. And then of course, as John has been teaching, we remain in him by remaining in the light, remaining in the word, and remaining in love. Now, as we've been studying through 1 John chapter 4, um, the focus of this chapter has, has been on godly love being an indicator of whether or not we are remaining in him and he in us. The presence of godly love in our lives, the presence of godly love flowing out from our lives. And up to this point in the letter, we're actually going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 17, all the way through chapter 5, verse 5 this morning. But up until this point in the letter, the evidence that John has been presenting that we are truly remaining in Christ has been Christian love for one another. Christians demonstrating godly love to one another within the body of Christ. But now, John is turning to what I think is an even more significant topic in the context of love, and that's a believer's love for God. Our love for the Father. How that is lived out, how that is demonstrated, and it's really something that is intimately tied to the to the entire topic of love. It's foundational to this entire topic of love being present in our lives and that being an indicator that we truly are God's children. And, and really the idea he is transitioning from is we can't really love our neighbors as Jesus commanded us to do. We can't really love our brothers and sisters here in the fellowship properly unless our love for God is, is right. That's really what he's getting at here. And so back in verse 12, he said this. And we looked at this last week. He said, if we love one another, God remains in us. And that's that proof concept. But then he says this very interesting phrase. He says, his love is made complete in us. The verses we're looking at this morning, chapter four, verse 17, through chapter five, verse five, are all about developing this idea of God's love being made complete in us. 
the idea of what that is, what that looks like, and how to know that's happening in the life of a believer. You know that word complete that he uses there in other translations, it's uh, written as perfect, right? It's made complete or to be uh, perfected, and it's the key idea of the verses we're looking at this morning. That word there simply means to make something completely free from fault or defect. You know, you might have uh, used the phrase in your life that I'm, I'm trying to perfect my golf swing, right? That's the concept here. It also means that the object of the verb is fully accomplishing its intended purpose. And so when John uses the word here, he's referring to both of these ideas, that God wants his love for us and our love for him to be made complete, to be perfected. And the idea of that is that it would be mature, that it would be everything it should be, that it would be whole, that it would be without fault, without defect, fully accomplishing its purpose in our lives. And Christian living really is a process of, of just daily coming to know our Father in a deeper and deeper way. And this happens when we grow in love, when we mature in love. And so, you know, it's, it's sometimes really easy for us as, as members of the family of God to get preoccupied with specific parts of living our faith, right? We can get really excited about, about certain elements and miss the whole picture. Sometimes as believers, we can really uh, emphasize holiness, and that's everything we're about. Or we can emphasize witnessing, and that's all we're about. Or apologetics, that's all we're about. Or some people can, you know, prophecy is everything, and, 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 and maybe it's discipleship is everything, or we're Worship is the sole focus. All those things are great. All of those things are wonderful and important, but they're all simply a byproduct of something greater, a believer's love for the Father, a believer's love for God. And a mature Christian love is really, in my opinion, the greatest universal need of the Christian church today to grow in love, to have our love mature. And, and it builds upon the prior section that John was talking about as he talked about expressing godly love to one another. He closed on this thought in verse, six, uh, verse 16 of chapter four. He said, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and he in him. And so this morning we're answering the question, if remaining in him is the goal, if remaining in him is the standard by which we deduce whether our sonship with God is good, whether our fellowship with God is good, if remaining in him is also then tied to remaining in love, how do we gauge how we're doing in our love for God? How do we give ourselves a, 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 a grade, if you will? How do, we, how do we evaluate how we're doing? if all of that refers back to, are we remaining in Christ? Are we remaining in him properly? And so that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. Really, how can we know that our love for the Father <clears throat> is being made complete, is being perfected, is growing and maturing? And there's four evidences that John presents here in these verses we're looking at this morning, and we'll walk through those when we get into the study. But first, we wanna open with a time of worship and praise for the one who loved us first, the one who dwells within us, the one who we love, and the one whose love flows out from us to one another and to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much. Lord, you are love. And God, your word tells us that you loved us first, and that is why we can love. 
Yet, Lord, we live in a world that has fallen. We live with our old nature, Lord, and sometimes we're not so loving. And God, it's an important question to ask ourselves how we're doing. Are we loving appropriately? God, we want to remain in you. We want to be in that place where we're abiding in Christ and knowing that we're close to you in fellowship and and walking close to you in obedience, Lord. And God, your word puts such a heavy emphasis on really the culmination of that is, are you loving God? Are you loving one another? Is godly love flowing through you to the world, Lord? And so today, God, I just ask you would encourage us and Lord, just give us some things to look at, some things to be able to evaluate ourselves and say, how are we doing when it comes to godly love? Lord, we're excited today to look at that and then to celebrate with those today who are making a public profession in baptism that they have received you as their savior, that they love you and that your love dwells within them, God. And we're so excited to celebrate that moment today. Lord, we do love you. We ask, Lord, you would be blessed, that you would be glorified in everything we do here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 4, or verse 5. And it says, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we opened with a question, right? Since expressed, sacrificial, unselfish love towards God and towards others is presented as a means to identify if we are really God's kids or not and doing well in our walk with him, how then can we tell if we're doing well? How then are we able to tell if we're growing and maturing in love and thus growing and maturing in our relationship with God? Well, I believe in this passage that we're looking at, John gives four evidences that we're growing and maturing in love. These four evidences are confidence, honesty, joyful obedience, and victory. So we see the first evidence, confidence, in the first two verses there, verses 17 through 19. And he says in this, Love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love and we love because he first loved us. Am I growing in love? Am I maturing in love? Is my 
love? Is the love in my life being made complete? Am I remaining in love as we've been taught and encouraged? Am I thus remaining in God? Well, the, the answer to that question is how much confidence or fear do you live in as you stand before your Father in heaven? Do you stand before him in confidence or do you stand before him in fear? That's the question to ask. Or to put it another way, are you afraid to approach your Father in heaven? Are you afraid to come before him in, in prayer with your needs? Are you too ashamed to come into his presence? That's the question that's being asked because John introduced this back in chapter two, verse 28, when he said, so now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, verse 18 there, he says, fear involves punishment. That word punishment is actually, uh, uh, means to have torment or to be tormented about something. And what it's referring to specifically is to be tormented about transcendent retribution. <laughs> that's the fancy Greek definition of the Greek word there. And I believe that's why it says fear involves punishment. This whole section, he's, he's tying it back to the day of judgment in verse 17. You know, the believer who experiences their love being made complete is the believer who is growing in their confidence before their father is the believer who's growing in their confidence to stand before their father no matter what. And the reason is, is because the believer who's growing in their confidence to stand before the father is the person who's becoming the child who respects their father rather than the guilty criminal cringing before the judge. That's the difference. You know, people tend to be afraid of judgment because they might have something in their past that haunts them. They might have something in their present that, that is condemning them, or there's something in the future that they fear threatens them, right? And it, and it could be a combination of all three, but people will tend to fee, be afraid of judgment because of these things. But the reality is that a child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, one who is saved and born again doesn't have to fear the past, their past, doesn't have to fear their present, and doesn't have to fear their future. They don't have to fear any of that because they have already experienced the overwhelming, unending love of God in their own lives. And that love of God in the believer's life that you have experienced, it's a love that, that has accomplished will accomplish and is accomplishing its purpose in your life every single day. Now, part of the purpose of God's love in our lives is to do away with the fear of judgment, to do away with that fear. You know, in John chapter five, verse 24, Jesus speaking, he said, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's truth. That is truth for the believer's life. For the person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation has come to God and say, I believe you. I believe you're God, and I believe everything you say, including the fact that I'm a sinner guilty of punishment. But please, God, I plead your blood. You, you shed your blood for me. There is no judgment for you. There is no judgment because we know that Christ has already suffered our judgment on the cross. And because we know that, we don't fear judgment. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we don't experience discipline as children, which is an entirely different thing, right? Discipline and judgment aren't the same thing in the context of these verses. The context of punishment and this torment of divine retribution that he's talking about is the idea of judgment being condemnation. Passing final sentence. You're guilty, you're done, death penalty is due to you, it, it's over. That, that's, that's that godly retribution idea in that word punishment. But in Romans 8.1, it says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. And so for the believer who's growing in their confidence, there, there's, judgment is not some future thing to be feared. It's not some future thing to be fair, feared. It's something past that was already dealt with. So there's no fear of punishment. There's no need to fear punishment. Our sins have already been judged at the cross and they will never be brought before us again. Hallelujah for that, right? And because of that, we're able to live each day in confidence before our Father in heaven. And we live that way because he uses his phrase there. It's very interesting. He says, because as he is, speaking of Jesus, so also are we in this world. As he is presently, so also are we in this world. Because Jesus died our death, because Jesus rose again, because Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, because by faith in Christ, we are united with him and co-heirs with Christ, the Bible tells us, or as John puts it, because as he is, so also are we in this world. What does that mean when, when we stumble and fall as his kids and we're going, oh no, I'm fearing punishment? The reality is, is, is the Father can't condemn us in our sin, can't judge us to condemnation any more than he can go back and condemn Jesus Christ. The sin is paid for, the victory is won. We have already been declared through our faith in Jesus not guilty, and it's not guilty forever. We are and will be and will forever be his children. So there's confidence instead of fear. We don't have to be afraid of our future because the penalty of our sins were de was dealt with already. We don't have to be afraid of our past because, well, verse 19 says, he first loved us. Right? I did this thing. I did this thing. Yeah, but, but Jesus had already loved you and died for your sin when you did that thing in your past. So you don't have to fear that. And we don't have to fear our present. Today, what if I mess up today? What if I stumble today? Because verse 18 says, perfect love drives out fear. That word perfect there is this idea of being made complete, something being perfected, something being brought into its, its proper um, uh, accomplishing what it's intended to accomplish. Perfect love drives out fear. As we grow in our love of God, we stop living in fear of condemnation. And you might say, well, on the moment we're saved, we should know we were not condemned anymore. Yeah, that is true. But how many of us, post-salvation, have still had moments where we're like, oh no, 
right? The devil's whispering into our ear where we're, we've stumbled, we've fallen, and you know, we dealt with this, right, a little while ago, that when your conscience condemns you, you say, conscience, take a hike because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we grow in the love of God, we relate to God less like a guilty criminal waiting for the gavel to drop and more like a child who knows that although I've messed up, I am still eternally loved. I'm still eternally welcome in his house. I'm still his kid. I'm still part of the family. And so when I say we stop fearing, I don't mean fearful as in the concept of being um, respectful or reverent towards God, right? That's, that's a different type of fear. You know, when we talk about godly fear, we don't talk about cringing like a criminal who's gonna get judged. We talk about a godly reverence and respect of a parent we've let down. That's, that's godly fear. But the fear that he's talking about here is fear of his wrathful, wrathful punishment against sin. And so, is my love for God growing? Is my love for God maturing? Is the love in my life being made complete, being made perfected? Well, a growing confidence in the presence of God is one of the first evidences that it indeed is. Verse 20, chapter four, first John, he says, if anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. The second evidence that I believe John is presenting here that your love for God is growing is honesty in your life. Honesty. He says, if anyone says, right? This phrase, if anyone, John uses this phrase five times in this short letter. And three of the times he uses this phrase, if anyone says, it's, it's as he's developing a warning against pretending, against hypocrisy, right? You cannot pretend that your love for God is growing, strong, healthy, accomplishing its purpose when your love for others is not. That's what John's saying here. You can't say that your love for God is growing when your love for others is not. And of course, the word love here through this whole section is that word agape, Right, that wonderful Greek word agape that describes an, an unconditional love, a charitable love, it's great affection, care, concern, loyalty, devotion, right? Unselfish love, that's what he's talking about here. But we see that John is connecting love for God and love for others in a way where they're, they're just inseparable. He's really saying you can't have one without the other. And if you say you do, you're a liar. It's, it's, again, straightforward. That love for others and love for God, they're inseparable. So much so that John says, if you don't have this general habit of, of expressing your love to your brothers and sisters in the family of Christ, right? And that's that idea when he says does not love, it means not in the process of ongoing action. Then it's an impossibility that you have love for God and you're lying if you say you do and you go, wow. <laughs> that's, 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 that's Okay. But having a general habit and a nature to love God and others, which is granted to us by the new nature we're given uh, in, in salvation, we've talked about this before when he uses the phrase keep his commands. He doesn't mean keep perfectly without error. He means when your general 
direction of life, the, the norm for you is, God, I want to obey you. I want to follow you, right? When that's, that's what characterizes your life. And you have that in your new nature, but, but having that doesn't mean that you don't mess up sometimes. It doesn't mean you don't stumble. It's still something that, that grows and matures in our life. It's still something that is being made complete. It is still something that is being perfected in our lives. And so he's not saying, if you don't love perfectly every time without fail, then you don't know God. That's not what he's getting at. But if the nature of who you are as a Christian, if you're not characterized by love for others, then don't say you love God. But again, we don't always love perfectly. I think we rarely love perfectly, to be honest, right? So we, so we grow in this, though. And so the confidence that we were just talking about is for this very circumstance where you stumble in love. Confidence to, to honestly come before God's presence. To honestly confess our weak and faltering love for those in our family at times. And thus, our weak and faltering love for God. And instead of lying about it, instead of justifying it, instead of making excuses for it, we instead honestly come to God and intently pursue everything we need from him to help us obey the command to love. And I'm sure we've all prayed that prayer at some point in times in one way or another. Oh, help me love that person, God. Right? And we're going to deal with the grinding teeth when we do that in a moment here. But, but we've all had those moments. Like, God, I, I, I can't, so I need you. And that's the very moment where you go, aha, you're God's child, right? Because someone who wasn't God's child wouldn't even come to the place of saying, God, please help me obey you in this. Please help me follow you in this. Holy Spirit, do a work in me because it is beyond my ability to love in this way, this person right now. And as that becomes our habit more and more, it demonstrates that our love for God is growing and maturing and being made complete. Chapter five, verse one, we get to the third evidence. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. Right? Am I being loving towards God's people? This is how you know. When you love God and obey his commands. Well, what does that look like? For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. That phrase is the linchpin of this point. <laughs> His commands are not a burden. The third evidence presented here that your love for God is growing, is maturing and being made complete, is, is a growing joyful obedience in your life. You know, although salvation grants us a new nature, I believe the Bible is very clear, our born-again spirit is, is, is um, evidenced in this growing desire to obey God, right? I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to keep his commands, right? Um, just like physical children, spiritual children go from immaturity to maturity in things. There's a lot we grow in in our spiritual walk, and one of those areas that we grow in is our attitude in which we obey God. The attitude in which we obey God. It's immature to obey begrudgingly. It's mature to obey joyfully. You know, disobedience to God's will is, is a tragedy for sure. 
Um, but I think so is reluctant, grudging obedience. Fine, I'll do what you say because I have to. Right, parents, right? When your kids say that to you, you're like, excuse me? <laughs> Whatever. But God doesn't want us to be that way. I mean, he doesn't want us to obey him, disobey him, right, obviously, but, but, but neither is his desire for us to obey him simply out of fear of judgment, simply out of fear of retribution, fear of punishment. And so a growing, maturing love for God is seen in a growing joy in obedience to him. You know, that growth is, is seen, I believe, in coming to understand this phrase in, in chapter five, verse three, his commands are not a burden. His commands are not a burden. That word burden there means difficult to comply with, oppressive, and unjust. God's commands are not what John is saying here. They're not oppressive. They're not unjust and thus difficult to comply with. You know, it's not very loving, nor does it display maturity to, to view God's will to view God's way, to view God's commands as an intentional effort on God's part to make your life miserable and more difficult. It's not mature to view God's will that way. But sometimes we do, especially when we're younger in the faith. Some of the commands that, that, that we read and we go, wait a second. And there's many in the world today that do that. God speaks about certain lifestyles and how we live. And they go, that's oppressive and unjust, and so they throw it out and live however they want. They say, you know, God says I'm supposed to do this or do that, and they go, oh my gosh, that's so unfair. God's commands aren't a burden. They're not unreasonably heavy. They're not oppressively, unfairly um, hung around your neck. They're not impossible to do. It's quite the opposite. You know, in Matthew 28, verses 29 through 30, Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me. And then he went on to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. Because God himself has given you, as a believer, as a Christian, a new nature. Because God himself, through the Holy Spirit, dwells within you because that Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you and enables you to do what God is requiring you to do, his commands are possible. They're not oppressive. They're not unjust. They're not unreasonably heavy. Right? He doesn't like unload this thing on us and we drop to the floor under its weight. I can't possibly do this. Matter of fact, God doesn't drop anything on us. He's like holding it. And we're like, oh, it's so heavy. And he's like, bro, you're not even carrying the weight. <laughs> like, chill, okay? But learning to walk in that power, learning to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's growing. That's maturing. That's growing up in faith and growing in love. And so John says, love for God is keeping his commands. I already mentioned that doesn't mean perfectly without error, but it means it's your normal intention to. But really what John's getting at when he says that is that, that loving God, when we say, I love God, what you're proclaiming biblically is that, that you regularly choose to do, choose to do what he commands you to do in his word. 
especially when that comes to loving others within the body of Christ. You choose to do it. As I said earlier, we can only really love others when we love God properly. And we love God when we do what he says. And what he says is to love others. You see the circle? When we stop throwing a fit, when we stop accusing him of laying an impossible burden upon us, when we stop accusing him of of giving an impossibly high bar when he tells us what to do in loving others, when we stop doing that, instead realize, as Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. What things? All things through him who strengthens me. Then Then when we realize that, as Paul did, We come to the place of instead of seeing God's commands as this oppressive, unjust, impossible burden, we learn that when we come and look at something, we go, wow, that seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So God, help me. Holy Spirit, empower me. God, work through me. Empower me to love love people. Empower us to love one another as you have loved us, God. We need it. And when we do that, we demonstrate that we do indeed love him. We do indeed love him. And as this habit grows in our lives, this habit of of believing his commands aren't unjust, they're not oppressive mandates, but really the best possible way to live and experience joy and blessing in our lives, when we come to all of that, we see the evidence that our love for the Father is indeed being made complete. And as our love for the Father matures, we'll have confidence as his kids, right? No longer tormented by judgment like guilty criminals. We're honest before him with our lack and our stumbles and our failures and our need. We're honest instead of lying about it. Our attitude about doing God's will changes. We come to embrace the truth that all his commands are really an expression of love, ultimately and nothing that we can't do because we're empowered by him to do it. When we find ourselves growing to enjoy doing his will, looking forward to, eager for the opportunity to do what pleases him. And for me, I'm especially blessed when I, when I find myself getting eager to accomplish the impossible things. God, I can't wait for you to do that because nobody's going to get the glory in that one but you because it seems impossible. Rather than doing what he's asking begrudgingly or because we have to or because we're afraid of being punished, these are three things that mark that God's love is being made complete within us, that God's love is growing within us, but there's one more. Chapter five, verse three. said, his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I believe the fourth evidence that our love for God is growing and maturing here is victory. Victory. Now you might go, what does victory have to do with a maturing love? You know, as believers, we live in a real world with real obstacles, real challenges, and it's not always easy to love. It's not always easy to love one another. It's not always easy to love God because our flesh gets in the way and we come up with excuses and and all this type of stuff. And it, it really is much easier 
At least we believe it's much easier to just go with the flow of the world and do things the way the world does and disobey God and do your own thing and throw out the scriptures that, that you don't like. But John says here, a Christian who believes that Jesus is Christ, he says they're born of God, right? They have been given a divine nature. Their, their spirit has been made alive. And the nature that they are given is, is the nature of God himself. They're in his likeness now. And because they have his nature, because the nature of God dwells within the believer, it is impossible to then be dominated or controlled against your will by the world. What do I mean by that? One of the favorite Christian excuses that I've come across in my years of ministry to justify sin, to alleviate guilt, to hide and cover up responsibility is, oh, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. It's too hard. God's way is impossible. I, 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 just, I just can't resist disobedience. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I have my own temptations in my life too. And I get how strong those things can be. I get how, how powerful the allure to, to, to believe that I can't obey God is. I, I'm challenged with it every day like you guys are. But I don't know why it's so easy for us to, to acknowledge the power of the sin nature. It's so easy for us to acknowledge and believe that it has such influence, such power over our lives that we simply cannot say no. But in the same breath, it is so hard for us to acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit and the new nature that God has given us. And it is so hard for us to believe that he has such influence and such power in our lives that we can say no to sin. It seems to be so easy for us to, oh, sin is so powerful, it got me. But then we struggle with going, the, the, the one who created the universe dwells within me. <laughs> but it seems to be so hard for us to acknowledge that the power of God within us, we can say no. We have the ability. We're not gonna do so perfectly. That's just a, the sad reality that our old nature is still here with our new nature. But one day, we will be set free from that. One day there will be no temptation. One day there will be no stumbling and I can't wait to get there. But today, but today we still wrestle. And the reason is, is because our sin nature wants to do whatever it can to convince us to do whatever we want without claiming any of the responsibility and consequence of doing so. But we have victory over the world, John says here. That phrase world is everything that stands against God, everything that stands against God's way, everything that stands against God's purposes. We have victory through our faith. It doesn't say we will be victorious. We have victory through our faith. That we have already come to that place. And, and, and now, believing that... We grow in that, right? The Bible talks about us growing in faith just as we grow in love, right? Salvation, we're given God's nature, but we still have to grow in expressing that love nature in our lives. We mature in that. But it's not just faith in general. What does he say there? It's faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
the more you love someone, the easier it is to trust them. The easier it is to have faith in them. And the more our love for Christ is made complete, the more our, lo- our faith in Christ is perfected. We trust him to say, God, I believe you can help me love this person who I feel like is unlovable. In my life, he always goes, don't forget you were the unlovable one. Oh, thanks God for that. Okay, God, help me. And then he helps me and I go, wow, God, my faith builds. And then I come up to the next situation and God says, do you love me? And I'm like, ah, like Peter, I like you a lot, Lord. God says, well, do what I'm calling you to do. Okay, God, but I need your help. And then you do it and God does it and your faith grows. And it's a lifelong process. And it's not faith in ourselves, faith in our own ability, faith in our own self-determination. It is faith in Jesus Christ that gives us the victory. Our union with Christ, our identification with him through faith means that we possess his nature, right? I believe that's why John said in verse 17, as he is, so we also are in this world. In Romans 6, 4, put it this way, therefore, We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. It's that newness of life that Christ exists in right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and it's that newness of life we get to experience today through our union with him. When Christ died, we put our faith in him, trust in him, we died with him. When Christ was buried, our old nature was buried with him. When Christ was, arose, we arose with him. And when Christ ascended to heaven, according to Ephesians 2.6, we, we spiritually ascended with him, right? Ephesians 2.6 says we are seated with him in heavenly places. And that verb tense of seated means we are present, presently and ongoingly seated with him. Praise God for that. And then when Christ returns, we're gonna fully share in his exaltation. And we claim all of this by faith. And in that, we live in his victory. This victory is our newness of life and that's what we're celebrating today in our baptisms. In a moment, I'm gonna ask everybody that's getting baptized today to come forward and go out the side here. We have some changing booths in the back if you need to change, if you got personal effects that you don't wanna leave in the pews, you can leave them back there. But you know, Living in newness of life is truly an exciting and blessed way to live. As God's love is made complete in our lives, we have this growing confidence to stand before him no matter what, not living in fear, because fear is cast out. And because fear is cast out, we find that we could live in open honesty with him no matter what. God, I messed up today. And he goes, okay, please forgive me. Okay, let's move forward. Let's, 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 let's get up and keep going because I love you, God says. We have no need to pretend, deny, or cover up or justify because fear is gone. And because fear is gone, we obey his will, not out of a fear of punishment, not out of any type of coercion, but we we obey his will out of love and respect and a desire to do so. And we grow to learn that his commands are not burdensome. They're not unjust or impossible to follow, but they're light and they're right and they're possible. And it's this life of love and honesty and joyful obedience and victory that helps us to face this world 
with a victorious faith, empowered to overcome instead of being overcome. The proclamation of that in baptism is powerful. When you get baptized before the body of Christ, and you make that public profession that all that stuff we've been talking about today, Jesus Christ has done that in my life, that I am being buried with him, I am being raised with him in the newness of life, and my life is forever different, empowered to be different, supernaturally different than this world. That's what baptism is all about. And so we're so blessed to be able to share that with those of you that are getting baptized today. Um, if you are getting baptized today, if you can go ahead and get up right now and come to the back there so we can get ready for that. Uh, helpers and workers that are helping with that, if you could come forward to do that. Worship team, if you could come forward as well, because while we're doing the baptism, I'm gonna go back and change and come back out. We're gonna have a time of worship and the worship team will be leading us in praise of God, in praise of who he is and what he has done. And you guys are here as the body of Christ to witness these baptisms because that's what baptism is, a public profession of what Jesus has done and you are that public. And so now if you have to bail for some reason, okay. We'll judge you a little bit as you walk out. No, just kidding, just kidding. Um, if you gotta go, you gotta go. Um, but it's a blessing to be able to witness this moment. If you are family and you wanna come forward to witness the baptism of those that are getting baptized, you can come forward and sit right here in these front rows as well. Those of you online, you'll be able to participate and witness with us and we're so blessed that, um, that we're here to do this. And so I'm gonna pray and then the worship team will get started and, and I'll go backstage to change. So Father, we thank you so much, God. You are wonderful, you are glorious. You are almighty, omnipotent. But most importantly, you are love. You loved us, God. You loved us so much that you came to this earth to live a life as a perfect man, without sin, the Son of God, to die on the cross for our sins and our, our failure to honor you with our lives. God, that sin separated us from you and there was literally nothing we could do to bridge that gap, Lord, so you came to bridge the gap. You paid the price for our sins. You were buried in that tomb and then you rose again, God. That through our faith in you, we wouldn't just be in a situation of having sins forgiven. We wouldn't only be in a situation of being declared not guilty, but then God, we would have the ability to obey you to keep your commands, to love others as you have loved us. And God, hallelujah for that. We are so grateful and so thankful for who you are. And God, for those getting baptized today and making this public profession, God, bless them. Bless their lives in, in, in every way you, you plan to, God. That their lives would be shining examples of the love of God and that people would come to know you through their lives. We thank you, God, for everything. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys.